Right, welcome everyone to Fazlift's podcast, episode 50. So we are on episode 50. Um, it's been awesome, actually. I've, I just wanted to do this podcast today as a bit of a recap over the last couple of years. So I started this podcast in November 2018. Um, the goal at the beginning was for this to be bodybuilding-based and as a way of a sort of a platform for me to discuss issues that are near and dear to my heart and for me to collaborate with other uh, people involved in the bodybuilding and fitness industry um, and even on the fringes of that as well. So I've got in a lot of people to talk about areas which are outside of bodybuilding, sort of related, but sort of outside things like um, eating disorders, um, women's issues in bodybuilding, bodybuilding competition, uh, and also just generally fat loss and muscle building for the average person as well. So a large part of this podcast has been a holistic view on not only bodybuilding, but also just like lifting for life, you know, for the average person. And that, that's really been a big, big part of it. And that's a lot of where my interest is. I love bodybuilding as a whole, but I think bodybuilding is nothing without the family and the supports that you have around you. And um, every guest that I've had on has said pretty much the same thing. And uh, that's a large part of what I enjoy talking about. So I wanted to uh, go and do kind of a recap of some of my more popular episodes and uh, just kind of maybe see if there's any more either updated views or potentially where I've had more experience in those areas. So uh, let's, uh, let's have a look. Now, the first one that I'm going to talk about is uh, this one here. This was one of my most popular, um, popular episodes and it was called Why You Fucked Your Diet Again. <laughs> So this is one of my early um, early episodes and I the reason that I made it was because I had so many people asking me about online coaching and sort of like what um, what I do differently what I do or like how could they actually finally do the diet that they wanted to do that they started but actually finish it how can they make this something for life you know the lifestyle like it's all very good and good saying, hey, make this into a lifestyle, but like, how do you actually do that? Because look, so many people fail with that. So, you know, people say it's, you know, it's a, it's a lifestyle, it's not a diet. Yeah, sure, okay, but like, how do you actually change that? Because it takes a lot to undo. Say if you're 30, 40 years old and you're trying to start on a diet for life, you're having to undo habits of a lifetime. And so this, what I wanted to do initially in this episode was just tell people, well, how did you fuck up in the first place? Um, so we had topics like um, so the lifestyle of a failed dieter, good and bad foods, um, the fallacy of diet, quality of quantity, the big stall, the binge, and learning nothing and then trying it all again. So what I was talking about in that episode was it was this idea that the majority of people who have failed previously in their fat loss efforts have failed for the very reason that they the very reason that they go and start on an approach which isn't sustainable. That's at the heart of it. That's what it is. We can sum it up in that sentence. People's fat loss endeavors fail because they go and start on an approach which isn't sustainable from the beginning. So this is why people will say, you start on something like a keto diet, okay? Ketogenic diet. And with the ketogenic diet, you're, you're eliminating a really, really large chunk of dietary options. So you're eliminating an entire 
macro group. So carbs, gone. Fuck it. <laughs> um, that's it. You know, hey, do you fancy banana? But not having a banana. How about some maple syrup and some pancakes? Fuck you. No carbs. <laughs> Imagine doing that for life. It's, it's like it's fine, you know, maybe for a 12-week period. And I think that's kind of, I think deep down people realize that. People deep down, people realize that if they're starting on something like a keto diet or whatever it is, it's going to be for a period of time where they strip the fat off and then they'll get back to eating normally. And they don't see that as a problem. Unfortunately, that doesn't really work for the majority of people. Like the majority of people won't be able to just do a diet, get some weight off, and then go back to eating normally after. because. There's a couple of large reasons here. One, what is normal? If normal is what got you to being 30 pounds overweight, then, well, going back to normal is not good. And then you might say to me, well, no, Faz, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go on a more moderate diet afterwards. Like, okay, great. So you'll strip the weight off with a really crazy, unsustainable diet. And then you'll, you'll then move to a more normal, moderate diet. All right, then. But that doesn't really the logic's not really there why not just go for the moderate diet in the first place and give it time because the added benefit the added sort of negative is after you finish that crazy diet you've probably gone off the rails and had all the fucking carbs in the house because <laughs> you've not had any carbs for months left, which is just silly um so you know it it just defies logic really and uh, i think and i'm i'm picking on the keto diet a little bit here main but i'm trying to drive home a point it'll be the same with people with diets which are unsustainable in general so like a starvation diet like you know what i'm just gonna starve the piss out of myself <laughs> great i'm gonna starve the hell out of myself i'm gonna eat less of everything i'm gonna i'm gonna starve myself uh and every morning i'm gonna look at a picture of myself naked and just survive on self-loathing <laughs> and, uh, and hatred you know and uh that seems to be the tactic for a lot of people. And I, I just don't think that's uh, a very positive, long-term sustainable way of doing things. But that seems to be the way forward. So if we can sum up people's diet failures, it can generally be by, all right, a non-sustainable approach, something which is not going to last a lifetime. So one of, the, one of my more sort of updated opinions on that is what constitutes a good diet in the first place? What constitutes something which is reasonable to stick to? Now, I still think that the majority of the diet should be something which where you can. So if I look at sort of what I do nowadays with people is nowadays, I do pay a lot more attention to composition and timing than I used to. So if we look at composition, what I mean by that is what your plate consists of. So what's on your plate. So I pay a lot more attention to that, a lot more nitty gritty. I very rarely previously used to encourage the idea of meal plans. But um, I would encourage someone to make up their own meal plan. But I've worked with a few more people, and I don't know whether it's because of coronavirus or whatever, but my, my current client base seems to be a lot of just gen pop, which is cool. Like, I like it. I, that, I actually prefer working with gen pop to, um, to anything else. But for whatever, perhaps because there's less bodybuilding competitions on or whatever, um, they, I've just had a lot more gen pop clients. So competitors are kind of like just biding their time, as it were. Um, and it, I've had to really deep dive into this idea of what meal composition is. And I've realized that for whatever reason, a lot of people really don't know the basics of eating. So I've sort of theorized why that might be. And I think when you're younger, you have, you possibly have a reasonable idea of, you know, diet. And I think some people grow up perhaps not having that 
like maybe they don't have a reasonable idea of where what a schedule of meal time is so people might grow up with three square meals but also tons of snacking in between those meals so in the end they're just the signals to their body are eat all the time they don't really have a breakfast lunch dinner schedule and that can be quite dangerous i think now I'm not saying there's anything magical about breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can have, you can set up your day wherever you like, but it is a, a schedule. It's a schedule that works because it's three meals a day, no snacks. Now, that at that stage, there's only so much you can overeat, you know. And so, if you're growing up eating three meals a day, by the time you're an adult, you're still used to that habit and you're still doing that. That is a fairly good way of ensuring you're not eating all day, which tends to be the problem. Now, if you were a child and basically interspersed within all your meals, you had a hefty supply of snacks from parents who just couldn't say no to you, then um, that's going to cause problems later in life, I think. And I'm just theorizing here, but that seems to be where people tend to run into, to start their bad relationships with food. Because the inevitable consequence of that is you gain weight, then you become unhappy with your body, and then you delve down the massive long rabbit hole of being unhappy and starving and binging and starving and binging, which a lot of people that I know do to a certain extent. And if you're the kind of person who's listened to this podcast, perhaps you've been there. So I think it stems from an early age and not having a concrete eating pattern. And again, I just want to point out, I don't think anything is, there's anything special about breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What it is, it's, it's an eating schedule. It's some sort of discipline, which otherwise that person might not have. So anyway, if we move on to what I'm talking about. So now I'm talking about this idea that, well, most people that I have worked with most people, some people that I've, I've started to realize anyway, the importance of deep diving more into what actually can be eaten. Whereas previously I was far more interested in, all right, the macro approach. Let's have a look at what you're eating. Having done that exercise a few times, like I've said, oh, keep a food diary for me. Let's see what you're eating. I've realized that there are a certain portion of people who've got no fucking clue about how to structure the day. I mean, the day might be skipping breakfast um, because they're stressed. They go to work stressed having coffees and whatnot maybe a donut in the office maybe that's the first thing they eat in the morning is a donut a snack a piece of fun biscuits by the time it gets to 12 o'clock their hunger is spiked because they are they've not really had a proper meal they've had maybe some biscuits which are all, they only serve to make their appetite worse and so by the time it gets to like midday with usual lunchtime 12 o'clock one o'clock they're absolutely starving and they'll tell you look i've ate nothing all day and in a way they're kind of tr- they're kind of right they've ate hardly anything they've no real food or they might have had some biscuits some snacks from the canteen or whatever or so whatever's been going around the office or whatever it gets to about 12 or 1 o'clock they're absolutely famished regardless of whether they had snacks or not they're famished come 12 or 1 o'clock that's it we begin the blowout the blowout begins with say a sandwich can of pop some sweets some crisps just everything because look i, I need the crisps i need the sweets i'm not out all day right um and then that starts them off Come about sort of four, five, six when they're at home, that's it. It's a continuation of that mess. And they'll have more crisps, more sweets. It becomes very disorganized. That snacking pretty much goes on into the evening because they're exhausted, because they're not at all day. You know, they've not really ate anything particularly decent all day. All they've had is maybe some crappy sandwich from the canteen alongside a bunch of crisps and chocolates. If this is starting to sound familiar, then you know that's what you really got to think to yourself. My fundamental view on food really has to change. And that's a large part of it. So just to kind of link this back to the, the podcast, there, the, what I identified in the podcast was really looking at why people fail diets. What is the life cycle of a diet? Now, what I'm talking about here 
is more where do where are people coming from where did they get to that point so the connection is this right i mean i'm about to make the connection now so keep listening because i'm getting to where this the connection is this if you go from a place where you have really no routine any diet's going to look good any diet's going to work for a little while if your routine is what i've just described and it's just that shockingly bad any diet you you happen to read will have a form of structure on it any diet you have to read will go okay that looks okay i mean it probably looks better than what you're currently doing right so you might try a keto diet you might try fasting you might try any number of approaches which aren't sustainable for you as a person and the person talking to you about those about fasting about keto and all that kind of stuff they'll be all lean skinny talking about how great they are and on the instagram saying keto saved my life and all that kind of shit carves the devil and you know what you don't see is the fact that they've probably fallen off the bandwagon god knows how many times and gone back on and now they have a kind of a weird um stockholm syndrome relationship with the diet <laughs> um, so any any diet even if it's a fad diet will appeal to that person the one that i've identified that, that i've just talked through because it's some kind of structure that they didn't have before it'll be a step up in a sense wouldn't it be better if we just learned how to eat and that's a large part of my focus has been that with my clients is teaching them how to eat and i've realized i've really had to go back to the drawing board with that as in how do we structure lunch dinner breakfast snacks how do we structure that kind of stuff and more and more nowadays i really deep dive into what people are eating and look at their daily schedules and look at what they're eating and to try and educate them into what is being eaten and what constitutes a good meal for the large majority of people it's a case of they're just scouring the internet looking for some ideas for what to eat and if they can't find anything then they're just um, smashing a bunch of chew sweets and chocolates every night just to try and compensate for these overly healthy meals because you look online <laughs> i mean people don't help online either no one no one has reasonable recipes online you know nobody has a reasonable recipe online everything's a fucking salad like every, everything's a 200 calorie meal you know there's no there's no, there's no middle ground anywhere anymore it's all extremes and what people need to be able to stick to something for life is the middle ground and finding a strategy that works for the majority of people now yeah okay i hear what you're saying keto works for some people fasting works for some people all that, blah 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 i get it i get it i get it long term though just like the bodybuilding lifestyle itself long term keto and all that kind of shit fasting like it's a form of disordered eating really body the bodybuilding lifestyle is a form of disordered eating you know anything which is that particular is a form by definition of disordered eating so a large part of my focus has been how to teach people how to eat properly and so whereas previously a couple of years back i was focused more on where people fucked up on trying to get their macros in check trying to get them lean my a large part of my focus now is shifted more towards educating people on how to do things properly and i do think that educating people of adding value to their lives is priceless because that is well, that's the education we need and it's all very well and good saying yeah well faz that's just easy to eat three squares a day yeah okay great but if it's that easy why do we have a problem you know why do we have a problem answer me that question it's the same that people say to me well it just carries in versus carries out it's that simple is it that simple fuck face and why would you have a problem why, why do we still have a problem? Why did diet still fail? It's obviously not that easy, is it? It's obviously not that simple. There's more to it than that. So that's been like my updated thoughts with regards to sort of diets and kind of what I focus on now. I focus much more around the practicalities. 
deep dive into where people are going wrong, what people are doing, and educating them about what constitutes a decent day of eating. To the point where they can actually eat comfortably, eat enough, do enough activity, which so they can eat enough so they can actually have a reasonable life of food and enjoy food and not feel that like they have to starve themselves to actually keep a reasonable body weight. So that's definitely one thing. Now, yeah, that's, that's um, as I say, right now, that's a large part of it, a large part of what I do with a lot of clients. Um, it's an interesting uh, topic, really. I think, in a way, the internet's, because, because people love extremes, I think, in a way, the internet's been not great for that. I mean, it also comes from a lack of sort of like education from, you know, parents and stuff like that. But I think the internet hasn't been amazing for that because you see so much, so many glamorized approaches which promise everything, which are so far from the normal. That you've got to kind of pull back and go, well, what's normal? You know, and I, I get it. I get it. What's, you know, the question is, well, Faz, what's normal? All right, I get that. But, and everyone has that sort of like a, a wide, birth definition of what's normal what isn't and i get that there's going to be people on the outlier on the on the fringes sure they are but any approach has got to be something that works for life it can't be an approach which is going to be a struggle so if you're, uh, something i've said to a client recently is if you're on week one of a diet and you're struggling that's not going to work you know if you're a diet uh, a client said to me that the diet is too easy i feel too full I'm like good <laughs> i want you to feel full on a diet if you start a diet and you're starving like that's bad that's, it's not going to work. You know? <laughs> if week one is bad, <laughs> how are you going to get to week 12 or week 16? Never mind about week 16. How are you going to keep it up for life? You know, It's got to be your way of eating now. And that's There are certain points where more extreme diets work, but that's a separate issue. And it's the more extreme diets aren't for, I would say, aren't for most people. I would say the more extreme diets are people who have a very good grasp of their bodies, of their minds and and they know they can they can do it without fucking up basically so anyway that is a little bit about why you fuck your diet and my updated thoughts on more about i guess i guess if we could update that it's like previously i i talked about why you fuck your diet and that was a really really good episode and it, it helped a lot of people i got a lot of good feedback from that i guess what i'm what i'm talking about now is how to unfuck your diet <laughs> <laughs> so we've moved on it's not how, why you fuck your diet it's now how to unfuck your diet that's, uh, that's the next one right so let's move on um, this one here was quite an interesting one I talked a bit about yeah this was uh, this was another one of my ranty episodes <laughs> my, my ranty episodes tend to um, get quite a lot of traction people like to hear me rant so this one was called Food Fear Mongering, Liars and the Incompetent in the Fitness Industry, Where's the Harm? And in this one, I talked about some misinformation that had come across my desk, and it was mostly related to um, MLM schemes. Things like, I don't even want to say the names because it's going to give them publicity, not that anyone listens to my podcast anyway, but um, you know, things like Herbalife, Isogenics, those kind of bullshit scams. Um, and people who resell things like detoxifiers, people who blame hormones and toxins when you're being overweight, people who sell meal replacement shakes and people who talk about good foods versus bad foods and examples of people who I've seen sell this shit. That was kind of what, and that, that was born out of an acquaintance of mine. Oh, acquaintance, a friend of a friend, let's say. He's a friend of a friend. He's a friend of one of my uh, friend, friends slash clients and uh, he was 
basically balls deep in this MLM scheme when he was balls deep in some really, really bad research. Um, and he was all he would ever talk about is toxins and phytonutrients, all kinds of stupid shit like that, which is irrelevant. He paid no attention to calories. In fact, he said that calories didn't matter. He actually said calories didn't matter. He just, he was one of those guys, he was the fitness equivalent of a flat earther. He was the fitness equivalent of an anti-vaxxer. And it wouldn't surprise me if he had those views. And by the way, if you're an anti-vaxxer and a flat earther and you're listening to this podcast, the fuck are you doing? <laughs> this is a science-based podcast, a reality-based podcast. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where that, was, that episode was born out of because there was this guy who I, um, as I say, he's a friend of a friend and I'd be recommended for him to for him to follow this stuff but uh, i realized very quickly that he was just going down the wrong path and he was he was basically balls deep in just the wrong stuff and i think it's an interesting psychology with these people because they're generally generally relatively intelligent people but they just look for science in the wrong places and they have their own reasons for that most of the time they don't they're somewhat intelligent but they don't have the full intelligence to realize when they're being lied to. And um, they also have perhaps a hint of insecurity about them as well. Like they're insecure about their, in, their knowledge. They're insecure about their qualifications, about their intellect. And so they try and look for something which is going to separate them from the pack. The unfortunate thing about that is there are countless scientists out there who are far, far cleverer than you, me, and any of these people who do that. Like, I'm, I'm not a scientist. You know, I don't, but I can interpret the study. I have enough humility to understand that I'm not a scientist and I don't know better than scientists, but I can, I can interpret studies. I'm not going to be throwing out all of science just because a couple of bad studies. I'm humble enough to know that if I want to interpret a body of research, I need to put some work in. I think when it comes to these people, these sort of like weirdo fringe fitness people like anti-vaxxers and the like, the fitness equivalents, I think what they try and do is they're trying to basically big themselves up by almost coming across as trying to be better than science, but by, by, by saying, well, I'm ahead of science. Cause that, a, lot, a common theme of what this guy would post would be like, he posted something, posted something really fucking stupid once. <laughs> he posted something about, it's so, so stupid. He said, so, uh, a, good, a good PT will be uh, concerned with calories a great PT will be concerned with phytonutrients or something fucking dumb like that. <laughs> and, uh, it, it just, it was just unbelievable. Like I didn't, I didn't really get, um, I didn't, I didn't get that at all. It was, it was amazing. And he really believed it. Like he really believed like he was on another level, you know, he's like, I don't care about calories. I care about fucking phytonutrients. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop fifty pounds off you by sorting out your phytonutrient profile. <laughs> so, uh, I just think, man, like yeah, I just think to myself, like he could be, he could be good. He obviously has a desire to learn. It's just that his own insecurities about his knowledge, about his intellect, has led him down a path where he's trying to be different from everyone else. And listen, man, like you, there are people out there who are far cleverer than you. There is a path to be taken, which represents reality represents logic and represents what we know about what works about what actually works for people there's no point dismissing that just because you want to be different you know being different is cool being unique is great but if i look up and somebody says to me hey and if i look up and say i can see that the sky is blue and somebody turns around to me and goes well no this, this the sky is actually turquoise fucking green 
whatever, or like red. I'm like, no, it isn't. It's fucking blue. And like, no matter how much you're trying to be different and unique and have a great cool take on things, they're just fuck, they're fucking wrong. And like, that's that's part of what you've got to realize with some of these things. It's like when you're trying to be cool and unique and have a great different perspective on things, that's all well and good for some things. Like, I might you might have a hot take on a new song that's out. You might have a hot take on a book. You know, you might have a hot take on a political topic, right? God knows we've had a lot of that in the news recently. But that's very different to having a hot take on reality. (laughs) You know, if the sky is blue, the sky is fucking blue. Like you you standing there saying I see it as red is not adding credibility to you whatsoever. All it's doing is making you look like a dumbass. And I think that's what a lot of these guys do. But anyway, in terms of what I've seen in that regard, I've focused on that less and less. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because when I was focused on that, I came across a lot of people who were focused on the same thing. And there's a guy on Instagram right now who, who um, is really, really knee-deep in that culture of, of exposing people who are anti-science. Now, that's, that's fine. Don't get me wrong. I've got no issue with that. Like, expose people who are anti-science. But I realized that I was getting too far into that, and that's not actually helpful. Because just repeatedly telling someone where they're fucked up, repeatedly making fun of people who fuck up, is not being helpful. And I made a conscious decision. It was actually when I saw and talked. I talked to him once in messages, and um, we were talking about you know my podcast, and he, he kind of suggested he wanted to be on it. And I got to thinking about having him as a guest. And I then I, as I normally do, I looked through people's profiles and had a look at what he offers. And occasionally I get people on just because they're high-level bodybuilders. They don't, I don't feel like I need to know much else. I just want to know what they do. Um, but this guy, he wasn't a high-level bodybuilder. He was just a you know, college graduate, whatever. He's from America, I think it was. And I realized his entire feed was just taking the piss out of people who are anti-science. Now, while that is fine, I guess, he's not wrong. You know, Is it helpful? Is it adding value? Um, or is it making people just feel bad? Like if somebody gets something wrong, is your first impression, your first um, inclination to point fingers at them and laugh, to put them all over your Instagram and laugh at how stupid they are? Or is your first inclination to actually show them a better way of doing things? Because there's, there's pointing out where people are wrong and then there's pointing out how to do things a better way. Like let, I'll, take, I'll give you an analogy. You ever fired up a barbecue, right? In a barbecue, you saw it in a barbecue and you've got somebody there you know, probably like a cousin or an uncle or someone saying, hey, you're doing that wrong. That's going to burn. You don't want to do it that way. Whereas, and that's fucking annoying because it doesn't add anything to the conversation. It doesn't add anything. It's just someone there standing there going, that's wrong. You're shit. Whereas if you get someone who goes here, let me help you. Let me try it this way. That's a little bit better. Yeah. Let's say the first time, first time you're trying to change a car, uh, change the wheel on your car. You know, you jack up the stand and all that kind of stuff and you know having somebody there to help you through that is a good is a good thing having somebody there to just stand there and tell you you're doing it wrong is probably not the best so imagine if you started a new job you first get the new job you don't know what you're doing and you got somebody over your shoulder just telling you hey you're doing that wrong that's wrong that's shit that was terrible i just laughing and pointing at you and then calling the rest of the office around to say hey look how bad this guy is at his job um now you compare that to a supportive person as you're saying, well, why don't you try doing it this way? Do this, do this, do this. And anyway, I realized that I was sort of starting to 
go down that road and I, I didn't want it. That's not me as a person. I much prefer to be helpful than just to decimate people who are getting things wrong. Even if, you know, they are really quite aggressive and I'm just countering that, that aggressive, but I didn't want to be part of that. And there are some guys on Instagram and that's their whole spiel is just to take the piss out of people who are anti-science and that's fine for them. But that's not for me. It's not what I intended my um, presence online to ever be. So food fear mongering, I think it's something that we should talk about. I think it's something that should be debunked, but at the same time, I also think that there's, there's a, and there is harm to it as well. Like people who, you know, if, if you get people who have tried all these detoxifying schemes and all that kind of stuff, they've been burned, they've lost money, they've made their health worse. Like obviously we saw the Herbalife studies recently, last year or the year before, which showed like liver damage from taking Herbalife supplements. Um, yeah, there's, there's a real harm, but there's also, there's a lot of benefit in showing people the right way of doing things. And that's kind of more what I want to be about than ripping into people doing things the wrong way. So there was that. So we'll cover one more episode. And uh, this was my thoughts on training. Here we go. We had, uh, we'll go for this one. I had a choice between a couple, but I'm going to cover this one. And this is a topic. This is a, a podcast I did with um, Adding Pins, who is uh, one of the head coaches of Team Stacking Plates. And uh, she's a female physique and bodybuilding coach. She's also a competitor herself. Um, lovely lady does a lot of really cool stuff on uh, Instagram I'm a really big fan of hers and, and, her, and her and me are, uh, are good friends and she talks about women's issues and that was a really very helpful educational video for me because I, I do coach a lot of females and coach a lot of women and I think there are some differences between when training men and training women there are some distinct differences in terms of psychology um, and one of the large big things that came off about from that podcast was the fact that more gradual changes tend to work better with females for a variety of reasons. Females tend to work better with more gradual deficits, more gradual surpluses. You can do a lot with the female just working at maintenance and, and just doing a lot of good effective training and just getting the macros right. And that really appealed to me because with guys, whether it's down to personality or the body type or the fact they're larger, you can you can have much you can be much more dramatic and much more drastic in terms of fat loss. However, there seems to be much more of a pullback for for women. So we're looking at overly restrictive guidelines, very low calories, damaged metabolisms, fasting for women, and all that kind of stuff. Now, in that regard, I wouldn't say much has changed for me. I'd, I'd still say, and that's probably more down to adding things as experience. She's so experienced with training women more down to that really and it's been a case of well a lot of what i've um what i've done over the last couple of years with training females has kind of echoed that just because as we said previously when we we're talking about the ways of doing things that's generally a very good way of doing things so yeah not not much of that has changed for me in terms of i've had i've been fortunate enough to have a lot more experienced coaching females and i really like that i really appreciate that because that's been awesome and um it's it's super satisfying for me because it's 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 something which I've always wanted to have more experience with and it's something where I'm now at the point where I feel like I've got a good backlog of female clients who, who I've learned a lot from and I've been able to uh, help and in doing so essentially improve my own practice as well. So that's been really cool. Final one I'm going to cover is training for the older lifter and contest recovery strategy. So 
in terms of this is kind of in terms of what I did after the competition. Now, unfortunately, about two or three months after the competition, uh, a couple of years ago, the gym that I regularly train at closed down, which is a shame. And I was forced to go to a commercial gym, which was fucking dog shit. <laughs> so bad. And that was um, early January 2019, I think it was. I was there for about a year. I won't say which gym it was, but it was just absolute dog shit. I'm not at that gym anymore. Uh, I'm now at a privately run hardcore gym, which is awesome. But anyway, this dad gym was just fucking terrible. Um, but anyway, I was looking at sort of machine work, higher up ranges, volume versus intensity, compound versus isolation. So essentially looking at how can you still progress as a mature lifter? I say mature lifter, but as an older lifter, like I'm not that old, but as an older lifter, particularly, and I've been under the bar now for about 21, 22 years. So I've been lifting heavyweights for a long time. So it takes a toll on the body. So how can you still progress with having, having um, a body which is far less happy with the amount of crap you're throwing at it, basically? Now, my thoughts have changed a little bit on that. They have changed. Now, for a while, I kind of moved exclusively. I moved well away from machines. Uh, sorry, I moved well away from free weights. I moved away from dumbbells. Free weights mainly because... Um, I, I just didn't like the idea of benching um, or squatting. Um, dumbbells, because the dumbbells only went up to 50 kilo. I think 50 or 40. I can't remember what it was, but they were too light anyway, whatever they were. Um, so there was a couple of things working against me there. So I pretty much for that year, I, I gave up pretty much all freeway exercises as well as dumbbell exercises. And that sucked, I think. Now, I, during the course of that podcast, I was making the case for machines and higher reps. And I went through a large period of time where my training was hard, but it was far more sort of controlled. And I, in hindsight, I'm not sure how effective it was, to be honest. I think now my updated thoughts are, because I've now been in my home gym for two or three months, my updated thoughts are that you can actually do quite a lot with free weights and barbells and dumbbells. And I say for the three main areas, like chest pushing exercises, I am always going to prefer dumbbells, particularly for chest pressing. Um, and I don't think I'm ever going to go back to the barbell now. It's always going to be dumbbells for me. And fortunately, the dumbbells at the local gym now go up relatively heavy. So I think they go up to 60s. So I should have enough room to be able to progress on those for a while. So, yeah. So that's one thing. For pulling, I like the barbell. I like chin-ups. I like pull-ups. I like barbell rows. I like t-ball rows. I like the heavy basic shit. I like dumbbell rows. I like all that heavy basic stuff. I got away from that. I got back into machines a lot and I, I just don't know. I'm not sure. Like it's great for longevity in a respect, but it can have the consequence of also you accidentally do too much work because it's just not challenging. Whereas if you do like 10 to 15 sets of bent over rows and chin-ups, like your back's going to be fucked. Now you can do, you can do 10 to 15 sets of machine exercises and your back's not really touched. And that's something to bear in mind. Also, with the machines, they lock, they lock you in really nicely. But to really, really challenge the muscle, you've got to do more things like drop sets and supersets and or cheating reps and all that, like, um, like force reps and all that kind of stuff. This is just my experience, you know, force reps and all that kind of stuff. To really get the most out of it, I, st I, I do believe I've, that there's a lot to be said for, for basic, your basic barbell and dumbbell exercises now. And I think you can get a lot more out of them. 
Now, to that end, it also means you can execute the exercises safer, um, so slow them, slow them down. Um, and you may you know, even need to go all the way to failure, you know, with some barbell dumbbell exercises. I don't know. I'm kind of beating around it a little bit, but I, I just, I've gone back to thinking now that barbell and dumbbells tend, tend to be more um, useful. For the legs, for example, I, I can't really get away from squats, you know? Squats and leg presses and stiff leg deadlifts and leg curls, you can't really get away from those things. They just fucking work, you know? And I think it'd be nice to try and substitute them with a lot of one-legged work, leg presses, but there's no substitute. Now, don't get me wrong, single leg machine work is fantastic and it's been a real big help for me this last year, but nothing really beats the barbell and the basics. So where I have sort of evolved a little bit in that regard is I'm far more interested in the basics. However, I'm also not chasing massive amounts of volume because you can't do it. Like 12-ish sets of heavy basic work is quite a lot. 12 to 16 sets per week per body part is a hell of a lot of work. And I'm not sure if you're using the barbell basic exercise and dumbbells and free weights and all that kind of stuff, I'm not sure you really need much more of that. Whereas when I was using machines, my volume was going a lot higher, probably to compensate for the lack of stimulus. Is that healthy necessarily? I'm not sure. So yeah, a couple of, a couple of updates there. But anyway, those are some of the classic episodes so why you fucked your diet food fear-mongering liars and the incompetent in the fitness industry what's the harm that was a really good episode training for the older lifter and contest recovery strategy and then the first podcast with adding pins training diet and psychology of females in fitness and uh, there were some of my some of my better podcasts which got really a lot of views well relatively speaking a lot of views <laughs> over the last uh, couple of years and uh, this is episode 50 i'm going to call it there thank you very much for listening i'll get this one up and uh, stay tuned for the next episode, 51, because I've got a very special guest on. All right, speak soon.